You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Earth Station One, and we are back, and we are joined by Darren this week, and we are going to be finally talking about a true classic, to a point, and we are talking all about Mommy Dearest, that's right, Faye Dunaway had her best. This is actually one of the best movies I actually saw her in, so you know it's a lot of fun to talk about, and Darren picked it up because it has a lot of you know touches on the lgbt community in so many different ways and we're going to be diving in head first but the man who will never have any wire hangers in his closet is sitting here with me right now let's welcome mr mike gordon howdy are you kidding i've got nothing but wire hangers take that mommy mommy what Mommy dearest. Ah! That's better. <laughs> yes, I promise I won't hit you with any of those wire hangers. Should be should be a fun campy time in the uh station tonight. Oh, I feel like chewing up some scenery tonight. It should be a lot of fun. And we've got a lot to talk about tonight and we're going to touch probably a little bit on the Super Bowl commercials in a few minutes. Uh we're also going to talk on, you know, doing a couple of different things, but I did want to put out a little notice real quick. Uh, we just released the first episode of the Dragon Con report for 2020. Um, Mike, myself, Darren, and Mary Lou got back together. We got the band going. Yes, it's only February, folks, but we've gotten started with that. But I know some of you people who are subscribing to the Earth Station One podcast are going, we didn't see it in our feed, Mike. Where is it? I'm very happy to announce that the Dragon Con report is growing up and it has its own website now and also it has its own RSS feed. So you, for those who were listening to it through the Earth Station One feed, you're going to now have to subscribe on whichever media player you listen to, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, even Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to, um, you can listen to it, you know, just by typing in the Dragon Con report and it'll pull it up and you'll be able to subscribe to it. And it's almost like it's a brand new show, but it's on its ninth season now. Can you believe that, Mikey? Yeah. Well, the other thing that is I know throwing some people off, too, is that it went through a bit of a name change. Uh, I mean, for the longest time, we had it linked to this show here on Earth Station One where we do the con report. Uh, so it was called the Dragon Con Con Report, and uh, we've taken the con out of the actual Dragon Con Report podcast now. So it's just the Dragon Con Report. So, uh, so for those people who are trying to look, look for that, uh, yeah, I actually had a couple people actually write me asking if it was the same podcast. It was done by the same people on everything. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. I've had a couple people ask about that too. So, yeah, so I mean, sorry for the confusion. Um, but yeah, we did want to, we, we did warn people that after episode 500, we were going to make some changes. So, uh, and so this was one thing that we decided that, uh, yes, uh, 
you know, the Dragon Con report is not uh, of drinking age yet, but it's getting older. So we feel like it could have its own presence. It can stand up on its own. Uh, we're only it can walk. three more seasons and we're going to be a teenager with the Dragon Con report. <laughs> exactly. So so we figured it was high time that it, uh, that it played with the big boys and, and be its own thing. So, so yeah. Uh, so, and actually, you know, one of the cool things with, putting it on its own feed you can now go back if you go to the dragon con report website which is dragonconreport.com you can actually listen all the way back to 2014 yeah and and believe me some of those are just as relevant now as they were when we recorded them uh because there's a lot of information about dragon con so we encourage people to and this will make it a lot easier for people to find older episodes because you won't have to dig through a bunch of Earth Station One episodes. Now, it could mean that not that we mind. Lose, I was going to say it could mean that we lose a lot of Earth Station One listeners because maybe they were only here because of the Dragon Con report. But um, so they're like, "Oh, cool! We can just go on this feed now. Thank you. We don't have to put up with that nonsense that you guys do on a weekly basis." Well, exactly. We just want to hear Dragon Con stuff. You know, <laughs> we don't want to hear you guys talking about Mommy Dearest or you know, Silent Running or gift guides or the geek seat yes you do that's why you're here you know uh, you know probably we're hearing people hang up on their podcast right the second when they heard you know you know but it's interesting because you did mention the name change and everything because it is now just the dragon con report but originally if you remember it was the eso dragon con con report so we want kept on sh- we've been shrinking it down so eventually we'll well, hopefully the fine folks at Dragon Con will, you know, buy us out and they'll just become DragonCon.com. <laughs> so not that we're hinting, not that, you know, we want that because we love doing it. So it should be a lot of fun. And we definitely would love to hear from you guys at home. Tell us your thoughts on this. Tell us your thoughts on Mommy Dearest. Uh, we're about to talk about some pretty fun stuff. We want to hear what you guys think. So please write us at EarthStation1 at ESOnetwork.com. Uh, before we also get started, I want to say a big shout out and howdy to our patrons. Haven't been giving them enough love up here on the show. Uh, you know, we have a ton of great patrons here on the network. And, you know, we want to say hey to friends of ours like Jennifer Adams and Jerry Chandler. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. And uh, we also have Chameleon Cosplay, one of our newest uh, Patreon uh, donors. Thank you for supporting the ESO network and guys, we do appreciate it more than you guys would ever know. And that's from the heart. So you can too, could become a patron of the ESO network for as little as 25 cents a week. And, you know, you could join in all the fun and everything. And with that, you could, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO network. Pretty simple folks. All right, let's jump in with rants and raves with, both feet we're boldly going where no one has gone before is that right mikey well yeah well let's start off with um uh, people who have listened to this show have known probably uh that uh, uh my love for star trek uh, at one time i thought could know no bounds but i found uh over recent years that those bounds were put to the test and i kind of i kind of lost my connection with star trek um i'm not saying that you know that what's being produced now is bad by any means, but I just wasn't getting the same, the same reaction out of it. And um, so 
you know, I was a long time Trekkie and I, and I thought, okay, well, you know, I'm just moving on now and, and, uh, and that's okay. Um, but there are two things that happened within the last month that uh, made me really excited about Star Trek again and, and brought back a lot of those feelings I had. Uh, the first one is uh, I actually uh, watched, uh, it's available on Shout Factory, which is available on the Amazon uh, Prime app. Uh, I think you have to pay, but it's it's worth it. Um, but they released uh, the documentary, uh, What We Left Behind, Deep Space Nine. And I watched that uh, about a week or so ago. And let me tell you that everything came flooding back as far as how much I loved, love, love, love Deep Space Nine. And uh, it's a great documentary. Um, not only does it reflect on the past and the making of that show, but it also, uh, the, they get the writers together to pitch a, a new season, uh, a new season. And they break down the new, like the first episode of the new season. And it's just like, damn, I want to see that show. Um, so spectacularly done. Um, a lot of love was put in that documentary. It was released early last year. And, and I think a lot of people got to see it in the theaters. I wish I did. Um, and even though I saw it on streaming, I'm going to buy the, uh, the Blu-ray because it's got extra documentary features on it that they couldn't, they didn't have time for in the movie. So, um, so I can't wait to get that and explore that. And yeah, it just brought back a lot of memories of D space nine, which I love so much. So have you seen that documentary, Mike? I have not. I heard great, great things about it. I have seen clips from it on different, uh, YouTube and stuff like that, but I haven't sat down and watched the documentary again. Well, uh, I'm going to give out a little spoiler for the documentary, and and I th- and I hope this actually saves some people from um, an an an, un, um, an unexpected gut punch, because I'm sure when people saw the documentary in 2019, they probably didn't think much of this. But I was watching the documentary, of course, and the very last thing before the credits at the end. They talk to, of course, they're talking to all the cast and crew about, you know, the effects of D Space Nine, what what effects that the show left on them, what basically the show left behind on them, what they left behind on the show, et cetera, et cetera, what it meant to them. And right before the credits, the last person that they talk to or the last clip that they show is of Rene Bergenois. And oh, he says, wow. And he says, well, at least now. On my obituary, it won't read known for being like Clayton, blah, 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 the third, like whatever his name was on Benson. Like now this has an added credit that people will recognize that they can use in my obituary. And dude, I lost it. Like I really? just, I like, I was like, that is just so eerie. Um, Aaron Eisenberg is also uh, featured in the documentary. And of course we lost him last year as well. So there's a little bit of, you know, sadness. There's some tears uh, that, uh, especially if you were a, a big D space nine fan, uh, there's, there's some emotional moments for sure. But that last bit, that last clip, like I said, I wasn't prepared for that at all. And it completely took me, it broke me. Like I just was like, ah, but um, anyway, I recommend that. Uh, like I said, it's available. I know it's available on shout factory, as a blu-ray as a dvd streaming you know watch it watch it watch it watch it um even if you're not a big d space nine fan i'm not saying it's gonna sell you but if you're interested in how tv shows are made or about that time period etc etc it's really put together really well um and then of course you know right around that that era 
of Star Trek when I was watching Deep Space Nine. Of course, I was also watching Next Generation. And speaking of Next Generation, we had the premiere of uh, Star Trek Picard this past week. And uh, luckily, you know, or fortunately for us, all of us, CBS uh, granted us a um, free. You can see the preview for free on YouTube, uh, the premiere anyway, the first episode. So that worked out because I do not have CBS access and I do not plan on getting CBS. Nope, but I have some good friends who do, so hopefully I'll be camping out at their house for on Thursday nights. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, I watched the first episode because I heard a lot about it, and it's free, right? So um, I watched it, and dude, I thought it was amazing. I thought it was really well done um, uh, to see Patrick Stewart again. The first opening shot, and this will be some minor spoilers, obviously. Um, but the first opening shot is of the Enterprise D, like just sort of the way an episode of Next Generation always opened with the shot of the Enterprise. And this time it's in beautiful like HD and it just looks, it's not my favorite version of the Enterprise, but damn, it looked gorgeous. And right away, I mean, you're like, I'm like, I'm back in the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. It, it was real interesting, especially because, you know, and we're going to spoil a little bit if for folks who haven't seen it yet. Um yeah, if you want to know absolutely nothing, fast forward. Exactly. If you're here for Mommy Dearest and you don't want to hear what happens in Picard, <laughs> uh, from the opening scene where they have data. We're going to spoil Mommy Dearest, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> really? It's almost a 50-year-old picture, dude. Uh, all right. But, yeah, from the scene where Picard was playing uh, poker with data, mm-hmm. that was just beautiful. And it, I, people were asking, oh, how's data coming back? How did they do it and everything? And it was perfectly done that data was in dreams, was telling messages to Picard. Yeah, they're, they're sticking with the continuity that he passed away in Nemesis. Um, and that, uh, you know, that, that uh, the, the data that we were, the version of data that we were introduced to there before is actually mentioned. A lot of things are mentioned. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that they bring together. Um, but, you know, um, you know, why isn't this a reboot or a recontinuation of Next Gen? Because this story, it's made clear at the beginning, at the, in this pilot episode, that this is about Picard. Um, Picard's relationship with Data, Picard's experience as Locutus, Picard's, uh, and actually the whole, I mean, during the whole run of Next Generation, the big bad was the Romulans. So you've got Romulans, Borg, Sentience, Data, like all coming together for this story. And it's it's only one that, it's like, it fits Picard to a T. Oh, and, and one it, of the things I love about it is, it continues the story from the next generation. It doesn't go, what do they call it? The Kelvin universe. Oh, right, right. Well, it does mention that, you know, Romulus blew up. I mean, it does mention the events there. It does, but that's when Spock went back into, you know, yeah, and it's, it's it's yeah, it's our it's our Trek universe. Exactly. It's the Trek universe we grew, everybody grew up with. It's the universe where they had a Deep Space 9, where they had a Next Generation, where they had a Voyager, you know. Yes, they probably even had Enterprise, but anyway, <laughs> we're but it's still that this is the universe we were used to and that it's continuing along its own timeline and right. These are going to be further adventures. And this is 25 years after the end of Next Gen and the movies. 
Right. Except it is. Yeah. I mean, they do mention uh, all good things and the events in all good things where it talks about the future of Picard. This takes place before his future, but he remembers it because um, they remember he has all his memories. Q gave him all his memories from that episode. So he kind of knows what's happening, what's going to happen in the future. But um, anyway, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, history there, which they, they kind of cruise through. You don't have, if you don't know anything about Star Trek, I think it's still a decent, uh, you know, um, you know, you don't have to, because I think it does a pretty good job. But if you know your Star Trek, if you know Deep, um, Next Generation, uh, you know, certainly the room where he goes, like when he goes into his storage locker or whatever, I mean, that's just full of items. So you're like, oh, there's that, there's that, there's that, there's that. Like there's like little Easter eggs all over that room. And it's just, it's pretty awesome. And the story itself took me by surprise. There were some events. I'm not going to say what they are. There's some things that I was like, oh my God, I can't believe they just did that. So um, I'm really excited with where this show's going. I'm not ex- as excited to pay to subscribe to CBS right now. Um I figure it's 10 episodes. I'll wait, you know, nine or so weeks or whatever when it's all done. And then, you know, I might give CBS a little bit of money just so I can watch all of them in succession and binge them and then peace out. Um, You know, although I know it's already got a, it got greenlit for a second season, but, um, but it, it, it was really well done. Some of the stylistic stylistic choices I, I didn't really care for, but I understand that's the way Voyage, I mean, sorry, Discovery is now. And, I don't know. I guess that's what Star Trek looks like now. It's a little too dark for my taste, but um, you know, that's another conversation, but, uh, but you know, Patrick Stewart is amazing. Uh, That guy doesn't get enough credit for the, the work that he's done in my opinion. Um, You know, that we're talking about a guy who's never probably going to get an Oscar, uh, never going to get a, even he's not even going to get an Emmy. You know, it's just this, that, and the other thing because of the because of the genre that he works in. But yet, uh, you know, you look at his role here, you look at his role in Logan, you look at his his work and other things, uh, and he's just an amazing, amazing talent. And uh, I'm glad that they're revisiting this character. He fit right back into the role, like it was a piece just put on a new pair of pants. It was it was done very comfortably the scene where he had the interview and she started the interviewee started attacking him. Sure. And and that was just pure Picard right there. And he handled it perfectly. He didn't miss a beat. It wasn't like he, cause there were scenes in this where you see him walking with a cane and you say, Oh, is he that frail? And you know, such. And when that scene hit, and he, you saw the fury in him. You saw the energy. It was just awesome. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't want to see a lot of scenes where he's running. No, <laughs> no, but he handled an explosion really but, well. But, but this isn't Dr. Who. So, uh, so he probably won't have to do that much. Uh, but, um, you know, I'm, I, they did a good job and I'm really excited by that. And uh, I, it, that combined with the documentary on East Space Nine, uh, just rekindled, you know, my love for Star Trek. So uh, I don't know where it's going to go from here, uh, but I'm enjoying it right now. So thank you to uh, the creators of both those projects. And uh, I hope it's not the last we see of this kind of stuff. 
Yep, exactly. And, you know, I'm just counting the days on the show till Q shows up, you know, <laughs> and you know, it's going to happen. Maybe. I mean, who knows? You know, I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I know, I know I've heard that there's some people that are going to be some characters that are coming back on this season and second season, we don't know anything. So obviously anything's, everything's on the table, you know, I mean, who knows? Well, exactly. And truthfully, it's going to be awesome. They have, you know, coming this season on Picard. So you saw some familiar faces, but you know, when they pulled back at the end of the episode and it was the board cube that the people were working in, yep. that was just awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's got some real like cool, cool stuff. And the effects were great. Those Romulan ships, those new ones look really great. Uh, fantastic. So, so I'm, uh, I'm on board. So good for them. Uh, you know, like I said, I'll just have to wait. So I might have some spoilers ruined for me in the meantime, in the 10 weeks to come, but, but, uh, it's okay. I'm uh, I can, I'm a big boy. I can handle it. That is awesome. I think you can handle it. And folks, it's free, I think, for another week on YouTube. So get before you can. It's You could just type in uh, Star Trek Picard and it'll be there. So please check it out. Definitely. It's how I spent my Super Bowl halftime. It was a great way to do it. So with that being said, let's take a quick break. And we'll be back in a moment with Mommy Dearest. This is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. The biggest movie coming out in theaters this weekend is, of course, the next chapter in the DC Cinematic Universe, which is Birds of Prey. I've been really looking forward to this one simply because we haven't had enough female-led superhero movies, and I'm excited about this film's female ensemble cast. I wasn't the hugest fan of Suicide Squad, but I thought that Harley Quinn was definitely one of the highlights of that, and I'm excited that she gets to lead her own movie here. She's not going to be tied down by the weirdness of her relationship to the Joker, and she gets to be with a really cool cast of female anti-heroes. The trailers just look like a lot of fun. It's going to be over the top. I'm excited to see Ewan McGregor as a villain, and and I think it's just going to be tons of fun. I'm not sure what it's tracking as in terms of the box office take it will have this weekend, but I think it's definitely going to dominate, at least in terms of wide release. We also have a pair of horror thrillers coming out this week, which is The Lodge. It's about a family vacationing at a cabin during the holidays. Sounds really cozy, right? But of course, it wouldn't be a horror film if there weren't some dark secrets about to be uncovered. Then we also have Come to Daddy, which looks to be on more of the comedic side of the horror spectrum, and it also takes place in a cabin, coincidentally, and stars Elijah Wood. 
in terms of DVD this week, there's not like a whole lot of major stuff, but I want to actually jump ahead to next week and talk about Ford versus Ferrari, which is going to be coming out on home video. And I loved, loved, loved this movie. I only got a chance to see it once in theaters just because it came out at a busy time of the year, but this movie was really good. It was way more interesting than I might have guessed just based on the premise. Car racing is not... A real big personal interest of mine, but this movie was just incredible from the performances to the emotion. And again, even if you don't really like car racing, I promise this movie is completely engrossing. It's super high intensity and intriguing to watch. So I hope that if you haven't gotten a chance to see it in theaters, it's definitely well worth checking out on home video. And that's it for this week. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, you can check out my film and TV reviews over on the ESO Podcast website. Right now, I'm actually doing a blog series on Westerns. So I just recently looked at The Quick and the Dead, and then I'm going to be checking out Young Guns. Hello, America. You like listening to knowledgeable people who are passionate about what they do? Wilbur does, don't you, Wilbur? But what about Daisy? She likes to listen to shows about pop culture, movies, television, and comic books. Good thing Wilbur and Daisy found the NerdBliss Podcast. You, too, can find the NerdBliss Podcast at nerdblisspodcast.com and on the ESO Network. Just remember, NerdBliss is one word. Don't you dare judge me. We have a moral and legal responsibility. And what you're really doing is denying one of your children the opportunity to live a wonderful and advantaged life. You're a lucky little girl. And very expensive. You cost me a lot of favors. Christina, darling, I'm going to make a perfect life for you. Are you having a happy birthday, Christina, darling? This is the best party I ever had. I love you, Mommy dearest. I love you, Tina, darling. You lost again. It's not fair. You're bigger than I am. Ah, but nobody ever said life was fair, Tina. I will always beat you. Then I'm not going to play with you anymore. Ever. I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to march yourself upstairs to your room and we'll stay there. No, I won't. Yes, you will. to you in your whole career or given you one piece of bad advice? Your treatment of me has been divine. Good. I want you to leave Metro. My wonderful fans. Leave Metro. Your pictures, one after another, are losing money. You have made me stop. Theater owners voted you box office poison. Making fun of me? Mommy, please! Mommy, please! Mommy, please! Mommy, please! 
should know the price I pay. Truth is, you're getting old. You're nothing but a rotten, crooked lawyer. The biggest female star he's got. Look at this floor. Do you think it's clean? Yes, Mommy, dearest. When I asked you to call me that, I wanted you to mean it. Joan Crawford, the most dramatic role of her life, was her life. Frank Kevlons presents Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford in Mommy, Dearest. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. And now we are here with Darren. Welcome, sir. What are we talking about this time? I, I'm sorry, Mr. Faber, Mr. Gordon, but you have a Hollywood star with you, so you must address me in the proper way. <laughs> okay, Let's mommy learn. dearest. Okay, mommy Let's dearest. Learn manners, and manners is something that is, we are in very short supply. Have you have you cleaned your bathroom? Clean it! I know it's dirty. I can look at her face and tell it's dirty. Yeah, we're talking about <laughs> It's a fun movie. <laughs> oh, poor Christina. <laughs> Christina, bring me the axe. <laughs> so we're, we're going to talk about this movie. It is, a, it is a camp classic for obvious reasons. If you've never seen it, please go watch it and uh, come back and talk with us. But I'm going to actually talk about this movie in a different way. Because this is a movie based upon a, a tell-all book written by the eldest adopted daughter of Joan Crawford. Her name is Christina Crawford. And it was written and published either while the will was read, like beforehand, or right after. And the will that Joan Crawford left gave Christina and Christopher nothing. So... There are definitely two sides to take in here. This is the tell-all biography of Christina Crawford in the book, but the movie is from Joan Crawford's point of view because no one would go see a biopic about Christina Crawford because no one knew really who she was. I mean, compared to her more famous mother, for sure. Well, she basically was a soap opera star. Oh, yeah. She was a soap opera star until her mother took over the part. Didn't she, like, it seems strange <laughs> to me that, uh, like, the two, like, those two got nothing. But yeah. in the in the movie, anyway, and maybe, the, I'm sure the book's different, but in the movie, they mention none of her other children. I mean, they, she had, The like, twins are not even in the movie. I know. It's like, I'm like, where are the twins? <laughs> did, she didn't she adopt her five? Yeah. Well, she yeah, had she five don't... children. One they gave back for some reason. It, <laughs> yeah, one was I, like, uh, no. Yeah, I pulled a biography of it, uh, of Joan Crawford today, just to go over the points. I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't know about the fifth kid. I just <laughs> found that out today. Like, there was a fifth one? <laughs> yeah, so, so 
you know. Let's, and let's and just... <laughs> go and ahead. Even though the okay, so so the book was written, and obviously it it's you know I think the book is is a an at least attempt anyway. I've never read the book, but the book is is a, is pretty serious, right? It's not like a. It's not, it's not camp, to be I would at. say. Right, yeah, right. I, I've not read and it I, either, but I can't imagine it be, being campy. And I so. and I honestly don't think that the movie was made with the intention of being camp. Um, yeah, there's that. So, <laughs> but we've so, talked about that. Camp is yes. never intentional. Right. Right. Um, well, I mean, but it it can be. It can. You can be. aim for it, I guess, but. Right it's better when it's completely accidental. Cause when you've got like, if you've got things like, like the 1981 flash Gordon movie or, um, uh, yes. or Rocky horror, like those yeah. people knew what they were doing. Like the Batman yeah. 66 show, like they knew what they were doing. Right. They, they knew that they were going for comedy. Right. This you is know? not, this movie I don't think was going. No, for comedy. no, not, not going at all. Comedy at all. But, no. be, but because of the way it's directed and, you know, uh, look, and because I, of the tour de force performance, yeah, by Ms. I mean, Dunaway. I love, I love Faye, um, and I don't, I mean, I think this movie helped her and really hurt her. Um, yes, I would agree with that. Um, because I mean, she's in in some ways she's absolutely amazing in this, especially in her depiction of of Joan Crawford. Oh um, yeah, but on other hands, it's like you know she's so over the top, and it just you know, it's laughable. Well, I, I read some reviews that compared her performance to more Kabuki theater. Yeah. So, I mean, if you've never seen Kabuki theater out there, it's uh, a type of Asian theater where the actors are all made up and every move is very stylized. It's more choreographed than acting. And I can definitely see that, especially in the wire hanger scene. And so when you're, and so also when you're playing a character that mm -hmm. also was is a, a real of, person <laughs> a real person but like a larger than life character version so. yeah mm -hmm. um because we talked about joan crawford obviously when we when we did our show on um uh whatever happened to baby jane oh totally the first one um in yeah. this series yeah yeah uh that like i mean joan was kind of and she was she, it's probably less so because betty davis just totally like over like out camps her in that one but oh yeah Mm -hmm. but in, but well davis yeah. outacts anything on state on screen so <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, <laughs> hence, hence the hence the series feud that came out a couple of years ago um yep. but yeah i mean you've got joan here as a larger than life character and being you know so it's kind of one of those things like i mean and and we, as we mentioned joan crawford herself and betty davis to an extent are already um dare i say like gay icons or certainly uh um, oh yeah totally uh, figures in the in the you know female impersonations and and divas and all that kind of stuff like it it just it just works hand in hand with them oh right? yeah i would say they're probably in the top five or ten easy right. yeah so so of course if you make a movie featuring like an icon like that it's gonna and you overplay it it's gonna you know it's almost like uh like a, a campy version of Inception. It just keeps like getting campier and campier. <laughs> How big can the camp cake be stacked? It's like it's camp within camp. Yep. Oh, it yeah. was completely. And that was what was great about it is it should have had the eyebrows as co-starring for this Oh, role. don't you know? Those eyebrows were operatic. 
I mean, they're always up high. They're always arched. They're always perfect in every scene. Mm-hmm. But just Faye Dunaway, and a lot of people get her and Joan Crawford confused. Faye Dunaway is an actress <laughs> who's still alive today. Joan yes. Crawford died in the uh, 70s. Yes. <laughs> so don't get them confused. Faye, Faye's facial structure looks a lot like Miss Crawford. Oh, Especially very much so. They have the right wig on her and everything. So that's kind of the look and allure you want to cast someone. Look, look at what they did with um, the musical bios for Elton and Freddie Mercury, right? They mm-hmm. want to cast an actor who looks similar enough that you would buy that that's them, right? So Faye Dunaway takes the part, and by all intents and purposes, she runs with it. And she acted, quote-unquote, like Joan Crawford through the entire movie, whether Joan Crawford was in a movie scene or not. And it's rare in this movie you get to see them recreate any of Joan Crawford's movie scenes. Oh, it was amazing how similar. And if you think about it, this is pre-CGI, folks. Oh, totally. They they didn't have any effects to make her look like Joan Crawford. She They had physical, practical, makeup, costuming. Exactly. It's amazing in this movie. Oh God, yes. I think also too, I mean this I mean, I don't know what the okay, so the budget I see is uh about five million. So obviously they didn't they were over budget. They didn't have a ton of money. But no, they didn't so I think that's why you don't see them enact any of the scenes because this is not an MGM movie. And most of the work that uh the iconic work that Joan Crawford did was for MGM. So you would have had to like pay probably twice as much in rights to, to, to get to, the rights to that to stuff. show some yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. Well, so. that's why they also didn't have the proper logos and stuff on the studios. And, right. Right. And exactly. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm and, surprised and, uh, they weren't at like MTM Studios. Yeah. Mm, don't, don't, <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. No. No. Bad. Bad. <laughs> but no, Joan was Joan was a force of nature. I mean, she grew up. Poor, dirt poor. She only finished sixth grade before her mom helped, uh, told her she had to start working to help support the family. Her dad left their family when she was practically right after she was born. So she think about this from, from Joan Crawford's perspective. She is basically a non-educated female in the 1930s depression, right? Uh, she was born in the, let me see, 1905. So she's 20 in the Roaring Twenties, so she gets to be a flapper, um, which <laughs> that was part of her um, cachet early on as a studio oh, yeah. girl. She was a flapper. She was an extra in black and white. And how many actors successfully made the transition from like the talkie day, from the silent days to the talkie days? Not many. But Joan Crawford had the looks and she had a decent voice, so she made the transition over. And she was that that hardworking girl in the background is is mostly of what she what she did before they recognized that she was very very attractive and they could put her up front but then she became like the girl friday character you know the the guy's best gal kind of a thing and she played except for the turn when she she had that villain role in the women which we'll get to it kids we will get to that movie um she basically played the good gal who who got the guy or the bitch who wanted the guy that the, that the good gal had. Those were the two roles that she got at MGM. And there are conflicting reports, obviously, when she was mutually agreed to end her contract with MGM. 
And that is like in 1943-ish, give or take. But before them, this movie opens up in 39 because we see, uh, or 38, we see Joan getting ready to be in one of the MGM movies as some kind of ice skating review that she takes, <laughs> which is the kind of stuff that she was getting back then. Um, we were about to enter a war, you know, the, the studios didn't have a lot of money. They were trying to prepare for what this was going to do for the studio system and everything. But people wanted to see Joan Crawford because they had grown up with her during the depression and her being in the movies. But Joan was beginning to get to that age where actresses weren't being offered anything anymore. Certainly nothing of, of any real substance. Well, that's true. Yeah. So what does she do? She adopts two kids. Does she do it for love and she wants a kid? Does she do it for the publicity photos? Yes to both. The jury is out. I think it's I, yes on both, honestly. I think it's yes on both. Maybe maybe the percentages aren't 50-50. Yeah. At, and that probably varies from like day-to-day, hour-to-hour. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think... Uh, I think even in this depiction of the movie, it's apparent that she's not just, I mean, yeah, she's not completely, you know, void of any feeling. Well, she has feelings. The problem is they're bipolar, I think. Well, well, that's just it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she has maybe too many feelings. She has too many feelings all at the same time. (laughs) Exactly. She's always acting. And, and, you know, even though there's men in her life, Many. She's really many men. Pre- right. She's pretty much a single mom. Oh, totally, she is. Oh, very, yeah, but she's not a typical single mom. Oh no, where she, she yeah, <laughs> no, she. There's a lots of uncles in these kids' lives. Okay, <laughs> Christina's live. I always make my uncle Scotch this way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there's a lot of uncles coming through that door, kids. <laughs> you have to wonder if the if the actress. <laughs> The little kid who was saying that understood what she was actually saying. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, maybe. It's Hollywood. You never know, right? <laughs> but we, we we begin to see, you know, Christina grows up a little bit. She becomes a precocious elementary school student, let's say. Kids are going to mess up. Kids just do that. Kids don't have that adult awareness of all the things that they should be doing and it's up to a parent to instill that in them over and over and over again until they get it i would think that in this depiction in the movie that joan had some very tough love as a child and she didn't want anyone to take anything for granted so that's why there was only you get to to choose one birthday present the rest will go to charity you must eat that raw steak on your plate, you know, for two days straight before it goes rancid, that kind of thing. Um, I get that's because she came from nothing and she had nothing. And she didn't want her children to grow up as spoiled brats. But here's something you don't know about the movie at all. Christopher, there's the scene where Joan is let out of her contract. And later that night, Joan goes crazy and starts chopping down all the bushes in the backyard. Right. When um, the maid comes to get Christina and Christopher out of bed, Christopher's in this harness, and that's yeah. never explained. I know movie. there's a, there's a there's a few times where they pan to him in the harness, and I'm like, what is up with this kid? Like they don't like that's not the point of this at all. Well, and I'm like, especially because especially after the bathroom scene, <laughs> when you know Christopher comes to 
help Christina. And basically he's go, you know, she's going, go strap yourself back into bed. Yeah. yeah. Like what? He knows, he knows how to do it. Apparently Christopher ran away a lot. Hmm. In in the biographies and the, and the stuff that you read, Christopher was constantly running away from home. Don't know why. I, I can't I can't imagine why. I can't imagine why. <laughs> no, but uh, he did, and so their solution was to strap him to the bed. Well, I knew people there, you know, who night. had kids who sleepwalked. Yeah, also did, maybe did that, that too. Also. Maybe he was doing a bit of that. Who knows? I, I doubt that he was, you know, that was thoroughly examined. It was more like he was ticking her off. So into the bed you go and get the get the straps, you know. Poor kid. And Christopher's mostly gone for most of this movie. <laughs> yeah, he's it's Christopher not yeah, it's, it's not the point away. of this movie. <laughs> we, yeah, we Christopher's not off. the point the point of this at all. No, he's not. And he I think he gets shipped off to some kind of military school. Um, the, all the children, including the twins who don't exist in this movie, were sent to the Chadwick Academy, which we for see Christina bit. go to for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, for for a little bit until she like gets. I think she was like fourteen or fifteen. It's hard to tell because the actress playing her as an adult had to play her after puberty till she was thirty something. You know, right. so mm-hmm. it was very difficult to tell what age Christina was supposed to be when she was at the school because to me she read like late, you know, late teens early 20s at that point and i'm like she's still in high school so she's got to be 15 here maybe and that's about time kids are doing their experimentation this is normal of course joan finds out about it and hits the roof (laughs) and yeah that's the movie version that's the movie version yeah (laughs) that's the movie version it's not there's a debate on exactly if that's well joan claims she was expelled and Christina says, I've got excellent grades. Why would they expel me? And she says that her mother pulled her out of the school. Right. Because she was know. spending too much time with uh, the boys, the, the family, and the booze. No, well, no, no, no. <laughs> I, the, well, uh, what? I and mean, that's in the movie. But oh, in, yeah. in, 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 in real in, movie, in yeah. real life, I mean, she had a relationship with uh, the, the headmaster or whatever of the school. Mm-hmm, the chat and, yeah. Right, the Chadwicks, and so she got too close to them, and of course Joan wouldn't stand for that. So no, no, Mm-mm. you can't so, have it your way. You've got to have it Mommy Dearest's way. Exactly. Fact, there, there's a story where the Chadwicks say, "Well, since things are kind of rough, why don't we'll take care of the kids over Thanksgiving break, and then they can come yeah, home no, at Christmas." That Joan was the last thing they did. That was the last thing they did. That was it. Yeah, <laughs> that was the last straw. And then. Uh, the secretary, the chauffeur, and someone that Christina didn't know went to pick her up and took her right to a convent where she spent the rest of her teenage years under the tutelages of the sisters of whatever. <laughs> the sisters of thou shalt obey thy mother or whatever. Sisters of holy terror. For, well, I mean, I don't think the nuns were actually terrifying. I, I just think that this was joan's way of keeping her daughter a quote-unquote good girl and away from those sinful boys blah 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 but now, it was okay for joan to mess around with every lawyer or producer or well she she did that as a career move right <laughs> do not yeah, do not pull the whole like but you do it mommy routine uh-huh. with her. No, that's, no, not, that's, no, that's not no. gonna end well for you <laughs> like, Bring like, me the axe. <laughs> like you know like we're it's like uh what is it uh uh in a christmas story when uh 
she catches him like swearing and she's like where did you learn that word and he's like now my old man now swore old like man. All, 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 uh, every day like multiple times a day but yeah, i was Schwartz. not i was not gonna like pull that card no <laughs> no but with, uh, do you get the sense in the scene where she's out in the back joan chopping down the tree or tr- about to chop down the tree. And she says, Christina, get me the ax. You think it flashes through Christina's mind. Mom's going to kill me with the ax. <laughs> I would not, I, you know, I was thinking like, I, don't, don't hand her an ax. Like that's the well, last thing she needs. Although she needed, I, but uh, I, I can't imagine saying no to her. And uh, let's fast forward 25 years when Joan Crawford plays an ax murderer in the movie straight jacket. <laughs> 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 which was, was after whatever happened to baby jane so early prepping know. early prepping yeah very early but we, th- we basically th- get to see like these two at loggerheads joan eventually marries um arthur Steele, who was the ceo of pepsi cola yep nothing about whatever happened to baby jane is Dude. in this movie nor nothing. or it's not even, even like anything to do with betty Davis. Nothing to do with Davis, nothing to do with um, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Yeah. None of that is mentioned at all in this movie. I mean, she hung around with a lot of stars. I mean, like back, I mean, I think they mm-hmm. said that uh, she, I mean, Julie Garland was very, I mean, talk about, man, Betty Davis, Joan Crawford, and Julie Garland in the same room. I'm like, those are like, oh my God. Three, <laughs> I'm like, what would you do? <laughs> As a gay man, I'm very confused right now. I don't know what to do. I would put um, Garland in between the two of them because we need a buffer zone there. <laughs> Here's the thing that's interesting about the movie and that the movie doesn't seem to, it, you know, on the one hand, it's easy to, to, to sort of like side with Christine, right? Cause she's the child and she's getting abused. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the movie kind of shows that at some points, you know, she's being a, like a brat. Yeah. And, and she's a child of privilege. Yeah. Yeah. And requires, because I mean, that's the whole thing. Joan grew up and it wasn't an option for her. Like, no, like she grew up in, in, in a harsh environment and had to make her way. And she had to work for everything. Right. And, but it's different when you're suddenly you're the one in privilege and you're forcing someone to do that. Like Mm -hmm. that's a, that's like a whole different kind of abuse. It, it kind of is, but I don't think Joan thought of it that way. She was trying to instill that work ethic. I don't know, and I actually and don't know if the, the behavior in the that kids way. that she had, but it backfired colossally every single time. Not every kid's the same, too. Right. right? Right. So, I mean, you've got kids who will gladly do everything for their mommy. So then you have the ones who are like, oh, I'm not doing that because I've got a brain and I'm going to use it because <laughs> you taught me to use it, you know? Yeah. So well, you've got the people who are just going to be like, I, yeah, I'm not going to do that just because you tell me. Yeah. Exactly. So, and then what do you do with a quote unquote willful child, right? <laughs> then you have the scene where uh, Christina comes back from the convent. <laughs> or is, no, it was when she got kicked out of Chadwick. Um, and the reporter from Red Book is there. Was that the convent or was that the high school? No, it was the high school. That was, that was the high school, school yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that's when they got into the fight and where, you know, the, the shouting so, match and they yeah. choking her. And slamming yeah. her head against the ground. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. I and thought she, she was. I thought front she was of gonna, a reporter. Yeah. Here's here's what gets me about that scene. Joan says to Christina, "I'd like to talk to you in the other room." You know, 
There's no door blocking this conversation. No, it's like, you might want to go a little further. <laughs> like, you could have said, go outside, go upstairs. No, no, you're going to have this conversation not more than, like, 50 feet away. And, of course, once the furniture gets toppled over and you hear screaming, everybody in the household is going to show up and find out what's going on. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, this might not be the – like, you might want to talk about this later. That's why That's why the new, the new phrase for leave me alone is, Barbara, please! <laughs> Without a reporter from Red Book. No. Yeah. Which exactly. that article that she wrote is online and you can read it. It's Which, hilarious. You know, after reading that, it's so kind compared to like what I would have written. <laughs> well, she's trying. Well, remember, we're we're hearing this all from Christina's point of view. And right, the red but book I mean, no, but I mean like she doesn't mention like paint. I mean, I don't know if the actual suit. strangling thing took place, but she doesn't exactly. mention that kind of stuff. But I don't I don't know if that event actually occurred this is hollywood right right so they're exactly. gonna take a story and they're gonna amp it to a thousand you know that's just what they do so but this this movie is a very important movie sheerly for the fact that it tunes into that old diva thing with joan crawford it deals with old hollywood which is kind of this mystical land that was and never really was you know what i mean the world of illusion yeah, the world of illusion, and then you get into all of the over-the-top acting, which just sells it all. You've got the costumes, you've got the scenery, you've got Faye Dunaway chewing more scenery than Shatner ever hoped to. Oh, that scene I mean, when she's with the Coca-Cola board? Oh, don't Or actually, me, Pepsi, the Pepsi-Cola the Pepsi yes, board. People, yeah. Yes. Don't me, fellas! Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she and Christina will get into it, and the next scene is them talking about how great Christmas is at home to the but press. The, the, when she stands know. up to the Pepsi board, that's like you, she's a hero. Like you're like that's yeah. really cool. And then later on, you're like, oh, here she goes, a demon again. I think you're right. I think it's a it's an interesting depiction of bi- bipolar disorder. And of course, now mm-hmm. we're a lot more knowledgeable of it. Even when this movie was made, we weren't. And and so a lot of it seems laughable and campy the way it's depicted in this movie and i think Mm -hmm. if it was made now it would be much different really probably much darker because i think so yeah who wants to laugh about child abuse now right i mean Uh, that's that's not like you couldn't you couldn't get that movie made now like if you were (laughs) like let's make a campy you know version of uh like you know this kid being abused um Uh, yeah that just wouldn't work yeah on on may 10th 1955 um Joan and Alfred Steele eloped, and we saw that, married him in the penthouse of the Flamingo Hotel in Las Vegas, complete with, um, you know, all the uh, (laughs) requisite photographers there. On April 19th, 1959, nearly a four-year marriage, Steele dies of heart failure. On April 21st, 1959, Crawford is elected to fill Steele's spot on the board of directors of PepsiCo. Now, ostensibly from the conversation we saw in the movie, it was kind of also to prevent Crawford from going to the press about it, but also to help PepsiCo pay for the debt on the New York apartment that they built, basically. Which was interesting. Exactly. Well, she got what she wanted. Yeah. In 1973, Crawford is forced out of PepsiCo by Don Kendall, who I'm assuming um, was a former or current, I guess. I don't know. CEO. He'd be a really old CEO at that point, I guess. But... um. (laughs) But forced out of PepsiCo in 73, 
On May 10th, 1979, Crawford um, dies of an acute coronary occlusion in her New York City apartment while battling pancreatic cancer. And 1978, Christina publishes the memoir, Mommy, Mommy Dearest. And then, of course, um, you have Christina publicizes Mommy Dearest. Of course, everyone wanted to know about it because Jim Crawford had just passed away. And then in 1981, you have the film. By the way, the fifth child that, they, that Crawford did not keep, his name was Philippe. There's the story I want to hear. I want to hear about Philippe Crawford. <laughs> How'd that work out? Probably better than all of them. He still is he still alive? I have no idea. It's probably not his last name. I don't. Honestly. Yeah, I don't know. Probably if got he, readopted. So I don't knows. know if any of the kids are still. I think all of them have passed. Um, yeah. I could be wrong on that. I think Christina might still be alive, actually. Or she she may be dead. I didn't look that up. Um, I know that the twins got money in the will, along with Crawford gave a lot of money to um, charity, obviously, like stars, celebrities would do. Um, she gave money to her maid and her secretary and to the twins. But Christopher and Christina were shocked right out of the will. And afterwards, um, I think there was a lawsuit um, for Christina and Christopher to the twins about fighting over mom's money and the twins just kind of wrote a check and Christina basically gave it to Christopher because he's not been as successful as she has been and he needed the help. So whether he's got some kind of issues or not, don't know. So Christina is still alive. Yay. Okay. Uh, As of today, she's 80 years old, but she's still alive. Yeah. God bless her. her. Good for her. So here's a uh, here's also a note that I was I saw online that uh, I feel is was just like art imitating life imitating art imitating life imitating like that inception that circle mm-hmm. is that the girl who played uh, uh, Carol Ann um, published a behind the scenes memoir about making the movie making Mommy Dearest yeah, <laughs> yeah it's called like the Mommy Dearest Diary Carol uh, Carol Ann tells all. Mm-hmm. And she like talks about how difficult it was working with Faye Dunaway, how Faye oh, Dunaway God. was acting like a diva through the whole time. And uh, even to a point where in the scene where uh, Joan Crawford attacks Christina in front of the reporter, I think it's that one that we talked about, right? The, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. At the Redwood, right? The Barbara Please um, scene. Like, uh, like she was hit like, like hard in the chest and knocked out knocked over several times like she was actually like beat up and yeah um and it was like i mean this i don't know if see i don't know enough about faye dunaway to know if she was just really in the character or if she was a diva herself you know well let's talk about that for a second miss dunaway um has a rep and <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna bring this to a full circle you can go online on YouTube and all you have to do is put Betty Davis on Faye Dunaway. And you will get Betty Davis on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And Carson asked the question, who would you never want to work with again because they're too difficult? And Betty Davis says, without hesitation, a million dollars, Faye Dunaway. Wow, what did they work on together? They had a movie called uh, the, Dip- the Disappearance of um, Amy. I think, or Emily, something like that. Okay. And Crawford played Emily, and she was like six hours late late for a call. And they actually do the call scene, like with a scene from this movie. It's in Feud, and Joan 
um, sorry, not Joan, but Susan Sarandon is there as Betty Davis talking about how unprofessional Faye Dunaway is. Hmm. So, um, yeah, that circled all the way around um, about <laughs> Faye, unfortunately. I, I've heard this story before about Ms. Dunaway, and I don't know her personally. Um, I do know a few people who kind of sort of have had run-ins with her and they have opinions, but I'm not going to share them um, because I, I don't think that's fair to either party, honestly. Sure. But what I, what I would say is that where there's smoke, there's fire. And if Betty Davis is calling you out, <laughs> there's smoke. So because I mean, Betty was difficult to work with, but she was professional. And she even said that at Crawford. She said Crawford was very professional. She showed up on time. She knew her lines. She never kept people waiting on the, on her. And Joan Crawford was a star. By all points, complete movie star. But that's not diva behavior. Those are two different things. Being professional, showing up on time, knowing your lines, knowing your spot, knowing where you're supposed to be, blah, 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 blah. That's being a professional. Being a diva is sitting in a trailer for six hours, keeping everybody waiting on a set that's 103 degrees. Right. For no good reason. I mean, if you had stomach flu or something, sure, but you need to have people communicate that or whatever and cancel that shot for the day. Let everyone go home, get some water before they start passing out. No, no, we're, we're waiting for whoever. You know, that's not, that's not the way to run a, a shop, you know? Like being at a concert and the, the headliner is three hours late. You know, the opening act was an hour. Sure. And now you've got two hours. What are you going to do? Go get pizza and, and a Coke. Cause well, it's one of those things too, where it's like we've seen several, several instances where, you know, an actor, an actress, whatever, anybody in the entertainment business, it's such a rocky road and mm-hmm. roller coaster that, you know, you could, they'll do one movie and they'll be like, you know, really difficult and horrible for because of what they're going through and then the next movie they're professional and they're amazing and they're generous Mm -hmm. you know it's like it's like it really i've seen that a lot of times where you know people are really difficult on certain times in their life because of what they're going through and then yeah that happens yeah i mean it's i think it happens to a lot of people but that that happens to people in real walk of day life too exactly you look at any major business that's pretty much the way of life right now this this Mm -hmm. happens and so you've got a deal with your personal life and your professional life at the same time. And it's, it's not easy. I'm not belittling it. I, I think this was diva behavior as a, either a way of control or just being scared because Betty Davis is out there. She will chew you up and spit you out again in a scene. So if, if you've not prepared, you know, if you don't know what you're doing because let's face it in the movie, mommy dearest Faye Dunaway didn't have anyone up to her caliber next to her for too long. Oh yeah, she's yeah. like by far. I mean, there's some there's some notable people in there, but by far, yeah. she's like the biggest name on the marquee. Like, well, she's the biggest name, and she's also out of the group, probably the best actor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, the guy. I don't know the, if that goes in hand in, in hand, but he's pretty good, right? I mean, he I mean, he's a known job. person, right? Yeah, but he had to come up to her level of crazy at the end, and you could right. see it. You know, he had gone a bit too over the top. But the rest yeah. of the, the cast kind of fades in the background, except for Christina, because she's there all the time. True. Well, yeah. I mean, Xander Berkeley is playing Christopher, and he's an amazing actor, which we know now. But, of course, yeah. his part in this is he's so young as an actor. 
and his part is so tiny and he's pretty much just supposed to be like the he's a placeholder he's the muted child right like he just much, doesn't speak yeah. he doesn't right he's just you know whatever and so so he doesn't really have a lot to do but no he doesn't but uh i i am uh curious about um <laughs> are you curious I am curious. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about the big scene, right? The big scene, because we kind of skipped over, right? The the, the wire hangers, right? The wire hanger the, scene. The Kabuki which, scene, yeah. Right, which is just amazing. I got to tell you, I watched that as a kid. I don't remember how old I was because I saw it like on cable or whatever. Um, it's been on network TV before. Believe but, it or not. <laughs> yeah, well, I can believe it. Um, I uh, But uh, I don't know. Is it R? Is this an R-rated movie? I can't. Um, I, I think it's. I think it is. R. There's one F bomb, so it could yeah. be PG-13. But I that was probably before PG. It was before PG-13. So, but there's no nudity or anything like that. No, uh, there's no nudity. There's no um, graphic violence. So it may, it may be just PG, honestly. But I'll tell you what. Like, so the scene where she goes like completely ape about the wire hangers and stuff like that, right? Where I mean, she does the surprise inspection in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy. <laughs> and it's kooky but um it's also scary all right so yeah i was gonna say without going into like really like personal details like i recognize that and i and it terrified me um, oh yeah mm-hmm. um and i think even as an adult when i watch it i'm like man if there were cameras around and some of the points where i've just gone off the f- rails, excuse me mm-hmm. but i've gone off the rails right <laughs> um like first edit would, of the night all right <laughs> it would i know it's not darren too isn't it weird um i'm shocked <laughs> <laughs> uh you know it would look like this it would the people would be like oh my god look at out like you know it would be campy and silly like this i mean it, mm-hmm. there's no it's it's i kind of give her credit for going that far out you mean with the um the craziness on yeah Crawford? with with Faye yeah. just like laying it out there and i mean that's a that's as an actor that's a brave choice because your your normal choice probably your normal instinct is to oh well i can't do that because that's too much right i I think my issue with the scene is one the directing was a little non-existent on the film in my opinion um there wasn't really a strong there's no style there's there's no style about the actors or anything and then when faye gets to her 10 she can't come back down do you know what i mean she she's up and she's screaming and all the energy is through the roof and she's got to sustain that for periods of this movie that are five to ten minutes long i think she's much more effective when she's a much colder controlled mommy dearest like the the like the bathroom scene well the scene where she is um where she takes the dolls away from christina because she's talking to them like oh right the mommy so Christina goes off to swim, and so she has all the dolls taken out of her room. Beheaded. No, just kidding. I just, I'm just imagining, like, what is she doing with them? Like, <laughs> but she comes back, right? And Christina's like, Mommy, my dollies are gone or whatever. And Joan's just applying lotion to her elbows and saying, well, they were disobedient children, weren't they? Wow. There's yeah. some psychological terror right there for you, kid. Enjoy that. And she's got the turban. The lips are very severe. The eyebrows are severe. That was much more like a Disney witch, really, than anything oh, else. Well, <laughs> if you look at it, her eyes also just were on fire. Oh, yeah. In that scene. It was just, it was so frippin' scary. And the way they had the lighting, 
it just like the light just focused right on her face mm-hmm. and the rest of the room was dark and most of the most of the lights like that were just on her face i mean even in the backyard scene they but this more so because she had the face, but she had it. the she had the like the cold cream on her face or whatever yeah. she had. Well, it that was, made it kind it of kabuki esque, didn't it? Oh, very much so, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. I think that's why it lends itself to that kind of a comparison. If you've never seen Kabuki Theater live, go because it is freaking amazing. If it's yeah. original, um, I think it's Japanese. But if it's original, it, you don't need to know what they're saying. It's okay, just go. Yeah. It's amazing to watch. Um, well, the face mask that she's in yeah. in that in the in the wire hanger scene is just like I mean that just amplifies everything by a thousand. It's it's a little <laughs> it's a little whatever happened to Baby Jane, isn't it? It's a, it's a little on the nose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like well, let's just put it this way: it's not subtle. <laughs> no, no, it is not. But Joan had to like stay young her entire career. Are you oh, talking sure. about a woman with a, a sixth grade education in Hollywood who's having to roll with these big businessmen? And this is before, like, you know, really, really, really good plastic surgery was a thing. Oh, totally. Yeah. Plastic surgery was not really an option for no. ladies back then at all. They could go to the spa, they could lose some pounds, they could do, you know, the, we saw the rubber bands around her face as she slept to keep all the skin in place, you know, to keep gravity at bay as long as possible. But how do you sleep with a headache every night? I don't know. But you do, I guess. You get used to it. But I'd like everyone, um, we're not really going to do this movie because it's not really um, an LGBT favorite. But you need to go see Mildred Pierce, which is the movie that Joan Crawford got her Oscar for. Yeah. And this came out, um, she had left MGM mutually, they say. And she got picked up by Warner Brothers. And for two years, she didn't appear except as a cameo, as um, playing herself in a Hollywood-type movie um, at Warner Brothers. And then she found the right script, and she battled a couple actresses out for it and had to even do a screen test for it, which we're talking about Joan Crawford in the 40s. You want a screen test? Really? Woman been in movies since the 20s, and you want a screen test from her. And you know what Mildred Pierce is about? It's about a fierce businesswoman who has to deal with being a single mother raising a brat daughter. <laughs> Just saying. Look at your life. This is what it's become. <laughs> I'm thinking Joan might have been a little method, a little method actor. <laughs> Just a little bit. It's giving her a lot of credit. If you can see any clips of Mildred Pierce, it's her slapping her daughter. I guarantee you. <laughs> um. Just to, to sidetrack a little bit, because uh, I know we talked about Faye Dunaway and and how she's just, you know, the big name and, and obviously the center of the movie, but obviously you, she's not alone. And I was just kind of wondering what uh, the thoughts are on uh, Diana Scarwin. I mean, obviously she's, uh, you know, she's an actress that's done a lot of stuff uh, in her career. But this must be the high point, I would think, or at least the most the popular most thing. known thing she's yeah. done. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, like the, it's split up because ha- like, well, almost it feels like half the movie is, is Mara Hobel, right. As the little girl. And then, and then the rest of it, or mm-hmm. I don't know, is it half and half? Is it Yeah. It's, like, it's kind of before Chatfield after Chatfield. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
because um, Christina goes to Chatfield, and then she goes through puberty in, in a fade out. <laughs> yeah, because even though like Mara Hobel's good as as young Christina, but she only really has two things to do. She either does like bratty, or she does she, like scared. She does bratty and screaming and crying really well. God yeah. love her. Oh, thank you, mommy dearest. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, she, she, yeah, she lays that on thick. Yeah, you know she does. And then she she has that scene where she's covered in the in the bathroom cleanser going jesus christ <laughs> which is just amazing <laughs> like, but diana is like diana is more of a i mean it's almost like a different i mean it literally is a different person but mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean her i mean her new like her relationship it seems like with in the movie like her role is a little bit more complex because there's you know, well, they're adults at that point, you know, so. Yeah, well, I mean, she's still not treated like one, but. Um, no, she's not treated well as one. That's and on the, the one problem. hand, you're like, why does she like just, because you kind of ask yourself, why, why does she like just have not have anything to do with her at all? Um, but I think, yeah. you know, I mean, there's still the ties there and it's still family, right? And that that's what makes it believable for me. Um, you know, my parents got divorced when I was 18. We didn't have any mommy, mommy dearest moments, but um, dad was kind of rough to deal with to the point of we had to get a restraining order on him. Um, so I get the whole, the hard part about you have this family member and he's abusive, but they're family and it's really hard to break away from that tie for whatever reason. Well, sure. This is why we have, you know, those issues with people not being able to leave those situations and unfortunately people get killed. Because family is supposed to mean more than you—you you give up at the first sign of warning, right? Yeah. So, it, I get it with Christina in a way. One, it's really hard to walk away from money. <laughs> oh, yes. It's really difficult to walk away from money. I Look, mean, there was a reason she didn't change her last name when she was became totally. <laughs> totally. Um, oh, I got that part on my own, right? Sure. Um. And she talks about that. She actually got a play. It was an off-off Broadway play or something. And they put up signs starring the daughter of Joan Crawford. It's like, oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you got that part all on your own. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) To her credit, she made them take them down, but the damage was already done. Anyone would have taken advantage of that, though. So, Well, yeah. I I certainly don't blame her for that. You know, the daughter of Joan Crawford. And then when she gets sick. (laughs) Who do they bring in? Yeah. Joan takes her place to to ostensibly quote unquote to save her spot on the show because she knows that she's going to be out sick for a while. She just had ovarian cyst surgery for crying out loud. That <laughs> must then. have been that must have been surreal. Like I can't okay. like it's really it's really campy the way it's depicted in the movie. Like totally. the nurse I, is like, like no just, no you want to see your mother click it just looks ridiculous no. <laughs> <laughs> this like 60 year old or whatever she was at the time playing Wait, a teenager funny. like oh oh that was just so disgusting and she couldn't get the lines right oh it's everyone else's fault oh of they're course. not holding the cue cards high enough for me oh well, you know well, i well i down more vodka exactly <laughs> <laughs> the guy was feeding her lines. What do you mean you were gonna we're not gonna go over to the beach house or whatever it was? It's like ah, why don't you just say the whole scene and just let her stand there and move on? <laughs> yeah, I can't like I can't imagine tuning into uh what was that thing called the Secret Storm, right? Um No, I couldn't I couldn't do it. 
I, like tuning in and like seeing Joan Crawford play this like 20 year old or something. I would have been like, this is like, what? This is crazy. See, I would have wanted to know what Davis would have thought about that. <laughs> yeah. 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 She's I mean, 20 in dog years. <laughs> As she drags another cigarette. <laughs> You know, um, also just as a as a geek, I'm always fascinated because with Joan because she um, she was in uh, like I think um, yeah she was the the featured player in Steven Spielberg's like studio debut when he did his episode of Night Gallery. Oh, it, it starred in 1969. It starred it starred her. Um, gotcha. And yeah. Uh, yeah, he's he's he was quite intimidated. So, oh, I bet. I bet. <laughs> I mean, I know. Check check your scrotum. Are they still there? Okay, that's good. probably why. Though later on, a few years after that, like when all that stuff's going wrong with the shark and everything, he can like he can deal with the the stress that Jaws that movie created because he's like, look, I've worked I'm with, with Crawford. Crawford. <laughs> like this is nothing. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. I don't mind dealing with a mechanical shark. I dealt with the witch. <laughs> Yeah, and we've all been in work situations that are rough, and we've had to deal with it because we've got to pay our bills and everything. We're like, you know what? I work there. I can deal with this. This is nothing now. And you just put it in the, in the proper perspective in the back of your mind, and you move on and go, listen, Harrison, I want to make a movie about you being a space cowboy and then about being a sexy archaeologist. I don't know if I want to do those movies. I'll pay you millions of dollars. Okay. You know, it's easy money, right? <laughs> You got to hand it to her, though. Like, like you said, Darren. I mean, she uh, she's a, Crawford is a business like, woman. I'm, I mean, but I mean, she started a career, like came up to out of nothing. In, out of legs. She did silence when she was like a, a teenager, and then worked until like until like like a, only a few years before she died. Like she mm-hmm. was constantly working, and like you said, by. You know, MGM gets rid of her in the in the in the forties because they're like, uh, you're too you're old, we don't know know what to do with you and everything. And yet she continues to work for another forty years almost. Like, I mean, yeah. that's and five well, now granted, there are like parts like uh what's that movie? Like that science fiction like Trog. Trog or, yeah. or like mm-hmm. stuff like that. And you know, there's a lot of crap she does. A lot yeah. oh, of crap. Totally, totally. But you want a paycheck, right? But yeah, but she's like this is I mean, what look I at the stuff that Betty Davis did at the end of her career. There's some, there's some honkers in there. Wait, don't call Witch Mountain a honker. That's not. I'm not Mountain. calling Witch Mountain a honker. I'm, uh, there's <laughs> some other stuff. And I don't think was she in Witch Mountain? Yes, she was. Wasn't she? Yeah, she was. She's yes. in the first one. I don't think she was also in. She was in number. She was in number two. Oh, she's she in number also... two. Her, it was her and Christopher Lee. Yeah, gotcha. gotcha. She was in something wicked. This way comes two for Disney. Who would have thought Betty Davis, a Disney contract player? But it happened. Um, <laughs> not contract. They didn't have that then, but you know what I mean. So, yeah. I mean, it's these women wanted to work, you know, above all. They wanted to keep working because I think that's something that the Depression instilled in them. You never know where your next paycheck's coming from. You never know where your next meal's coming from. Get the jobs and do a good job. And your reputation will seal everything else. You know, either you're a great actor or you're a professional movie star, one of the two. And we're back to comparing those two ladies because you can't get away from the comparison. And you'll notice we've spent more time talking about Joan Crawford than we have Faye Dunaway. 
Well, I mean, there's re- I mean, Faze, the movie is the Faze movie is, working, is about her. She she's mostly doing plays now. So. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, I mean, this is I mean, the movie itself is is, is about you know Joan and and I think you know. I don't know. I don't, you know, comparing the two when all said and done, I mean, their careers are kind of similar in a way. They both have, have a lot of ups and a lot of downs. Oh yeah. Um, angry children. And angry children too. Um, <laughs> some that there are, there are their own and others that aren't. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. Um, and I don't know. So would you say, so when you've got like, you know, this, uh, because this movie obviously has, um, been, it's almost got like a, my understanding is it's almost got like a Rocky horror thing where, where it's done in drag a lot. Like, is that, is that, Oh yeah. Uh, There's not a drag queen alive who hasn't done Joan Crawford at some point or another. And more specifically Joan Crawford as mommy dearest. So they're not doing Faye Dunaway. They're doing Joan Crawford. Well, that's just it, but they're not even, are they doing Joan Crawford or are they doing Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford? Uh, mm, Depends on how well the lighting is, I guess. uh. (laughs) Because that's another thing where you've got these layers upon layers where it's like camp on camp on camp, right? I mean, it's Mm -hmm. just, it's just like, that's why I, I find this movie in particular and the effect that it has, because it really is, you know, for, um, I don't know if we've done a great job like tying it together, but the fact that, you know, that it shows up all the time in uh, LGBT like film festivals. Uh, oh yeah. And it, it's and it a, it's a classic. A, and it doesn't have a single gay person in it. No, no, it doesn't. Or a gay character anyway. Um, and it's, 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 you know, there are drag performances of uh, scenes, if not the whole film, I don't know how far <laughs> they go with it. Um, but, Us go uh, too far? Never. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it is interesting to me that it's tied into that community, even though that's not what it's, it's about at all. Yeah, it's the, it's the over-the-top camp of it is what gets our attention. It's that, that fantasy Hollywood world that always was and never existed, right? That illusion of this is what it's like to be in an opulent world and to have fabulous things and to be the life of the party and blah, blah, blah. And then of course you peel back the layers and go, Oh my God, that's horrible. <laughs> yeah. I, I think uh, I saw this article in uh salon salon, right? Salon. Salon. Yeah. That, uh, that kind of talked about it a little bit. And this quote like hit me, I think more than anything else. It, uh, because I guess later on when asked about it, Christina just kind of laughed at the movie or whatever. And the quote is Christina is laughing for much the same reason that drag Queens laugh at themselves. The comedy of drag is partially preemptive. A gay man who society scorns as a biological mistake. The freak of nature is immune from laughter that he deliberately provokes. Uh, Try try calling a drag queen a sissy Uh, as a rhetorical strategy. It will fall pretty flat. Uh, likewise, gay men who tell jokes, make cards, dress up like Joan, wave coat hangers in the air can never, uh, can never intimidate Christina, right? With a coat hanger of her own making, she has beat us, so to speak, to the punch. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I thought, I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty much like, okay, I can, I can see this connection now. Because sometimes it's not very obvious, you know? Yeah, this one's not, this one isn't that obvious. (laughs) 
I mean, it is a coming of age story for Christina, sure, but that's not the focus of the movie. The focus of the movie is always on Crawford, no matter what, you know. Um, we don't get to celebrate any of Christina's happiness because there's Mommy Dearest to snatch it away from her, you know. So uh, it it's a thing about that yin and yang of you have such this horrible life that you're watching, but it's so over the top and campy you can't believe it's existing. So it it really becomes this my life has to be better than this because this life is pretty shitty right here. And not not to put too fine a point on it, that's why people watch talk shows like Jerry Springer. Well, you know, and, your life isn't as messed up as those people on that show right now. And I <laughs> think there's some sort of, I mean, I saw that there's some ne- negative reaction from the, a lot of people about this movie and even celebrating it because it seems oh, totally, to yeah. keep, it, it seems to treat lightly things like child abuse and, and, mm-hmm. and bipolar disorder, that kind of thing. But I think, I think in some ways it's a, it's a, it's, it's a cathartic experience. Yeah. In a way I can see that very, very cathartic. Um, uh, you know, on, on some level, I'm not going to give the movie that much credit. No, 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 no. <laughs> cause, cause I don't think it, it set out to do that. And it certainly isn't very deep. Uh, yeah, the, the, the scenes where mommy dearest is beating Christina, th- those are some disturbing scenes. Yeah, well, apparently she, like, really was laying into some people there, so... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) She certainly was. She certainly was. So, it's just one of those things where, like, oh, my gosh, here we are. Yeah, if this this movie was made today, it would be so different. different. It would be a lot different, and hopefully would have a better director. Because (laughs) I I, I think the campiness comes from the fact that there's no directing, and Faye just went with it. And the writing, too. Yeah, well, the writing... This is the problem of the script itself coming from a book, which is about a child of privilege being told no all the time. I mean, the scenarios presented are not that, quote unquote, unreasonable on the whole. Now, Jones slash Mommy Dearest reaction to some things way over the top. Yeah, totally. But we've all had brothers and sisters who are picky eaters. And mom and dads deal with that in different ways. Look, I think, I don't know. I don't want to speak for everybody, but I certainly had an experience where I, if I didn't eat everything on my plate, I wasn't going to get, I wasn't going to be let, leaving the table and going to my room. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. like that, there was times that where I was, was like, not yeah, that yeah. unusual, you know, back then at <laughs> no, all. So. Not at all. I mean, oh, I'm not yeah. as old as that, but I mean, even <laughs> from, even for my generation, there was, you know, I mean, I, you know, I was not alone. I know a lot of kids that, you know, mm-hmm. experience that sort of thing. Well, I, like I said, my parents were raised by, you know, people from the depression. My parents were born in 39. So the depression was recent memory for them. So yeah. you better believe it was always save it up, use it up, make it do, period. So if it's lima beans again tonight for the third night, that's what we have for dinner is lima beans. You don't want that? Okay, well, don't don't eat. You don't have to eat because that's dinner. <laughs> you know, and you can yell and scream about it as a little kid. Kids have meltdowns. We all know it. We've seen them in malls, you know, so. Oh, malls, Walmart, grocery stores, gas stations. Yeah. Wherever the kids are, you know, they turn into an amoeba and start screaming. You put them in the the carrier and you drive on because that's what you have to do as a parent. You know, not not every incident of a child screaming is, is child abuse. Some of it just happens because the child is 
having a meltdown because they don't want what mommy and daddy needs to have happen happen at that moment. So well, exactly, <laughs> and, and truthfully, like one of the in that scene where Christina was having the temper tantrum after being forced to swim all day, you know, she gets spanked. You probably wouldn't see that in a film at nowadays. No, probably yeah. not. But in the thirties and forties. People spanked me when this, in the seventies. I was going to say eighties, nineties. I mean, yeah. I mean, I know. Yeah, I mean, I know people who still not in public, maybe. Right? No, no, not home? in public. Uh-huh. Yeah, defax is a thing now. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> nobody... and everyone's got a camera, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Like, yeah. And then back then, you know, defax was not. They were just like letters put together that didn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, I, one one scene that I guess happened in real life, or one thing that happened in real life, I was you know reading that I'm surprised didn't make the movie because I think it would have been a, a great addition as well. Is that uh, apparently like her first movie role, like uh, Faye actually had it all lined up for her for Christina, and then she had done something to piss her off, and she was like, "Nope, you don't do that." So I was like, "Wow, she." And I think right at, that was when she decided that. Uh, Everything that she was going to do was not going to be on on Crawford's name, you know. Like, well, there's also um, stories about how <laughs> Christine had to go find Christopher. Mm. See, all this is not in the movie. None of this is in the movie. And uh, Christine helped Christopher get away from Joan because Joan was just, you know, unbearable for him. Of course, none of that's covered in the movie. You don't know what happens to Christopher after they all move to New York. You don't see him. He's a non-entity at that point. He shows up at the will reading. Yeah. Well, yeah. But, like I said, he's not the point of the movie anyway. Mm-hmm. So. But when jo- when Joan puts in her will, um, I've made no provisions for my daughter, Christina, or my son, Christopher, for reasons that they know. That The ending leaves it blank. Like, what reasons were those? You know? And <laughs> there's a lot that's not in the movie that you go, oh, oh, ooh. You know, there were other things that went on that made both sides not angels. So I think that's what I really want to stress is that Mommy Dearest paints Joan Crawford really horribly. And maybe she was. There are even Hollywood stars who have said, yeah, I saw some things in the house that weren't. I wouldn't do it that way or whatever. But then there are other people who have said, I never saw that. And the twins said they never had that kind of treatment from their mother ever. Hmm. So there's definitely a difference of opinion of what had occurred between Joan and Christina and Christopher. Definitely a difference of opinion. As far as the movie itself goes, as I I guess we're winding down here, um, obviously it doesn't make sense for us to go around and rate it because I mean, this is, this is the movie that when the year came out, it won the golden raspberry for worst picture. And then (laughs) it actually won um, the one, the worst picture of the decade for that whole, like, (laughs) so, so obviously, you know, and that's saying something because the (laughs) eighties, there were some really rotten movies. kids. Absolutely. Um, But yet it, it, it endures. And mm-hmm. a large part of that is because of the LGBT it's, community, I would think, right? Yeah, it's, it's the campiness of it. Yeah, totally. It is all that. So, so Mike, what do you think? Do you would you recommend? Should this pe- should people see this? Yeah, of course. Uh, I haven't <laughs> seen this movie probably in a good thirty years, and 
the campiness, the scenery that got chewed up, the poor, poor rose garden, you know, poor Chris, <laughs> you know, all these things. There's times when you love Joan Crawford in this movie, and there's other times she scares the living crap out of you. Mm-hmm. And that's what was wonderful about this movie. Yeah, I would recommend it. I totally would recommend it. But go into it with, you know, knowing, you know, that it's not, you know, a work of art by any means. It's, you know, it's a a movie that is just a camp fest. So bring in lunch. Uh, yeah, please bring bring a full picnic basket because you're going to need it. <laughs> you know, with, with this movie, I, I phrase it like this. This was Faye Dunaway thought she was going to get an Oscar for her portrayal as Joan Crawford. That's why every scene she's in, she is acting for that Oscar because they didn't know which piece of film was going to be sent to the Oscar, you know, committee for consideration for her as best actress. And obviously none of that came to pass, but she's so over the top. What, what if Meryl Streep had been mommy dearest? Oh God. Just give that a moment to think about. Wow. Well, I mean, but it's a, what if Mike Nichols had directed this movie? It would have been way well, better, right? Well, there you right? go. So it, would have, can... it would have had a snappier soundtrack, I'll tell you that. What if John Williams had scored Mommy Dearest? Watch, watch this with the Star Wars soundtrack in the background and see what it does for you. Yeah, I want to I hear John Williams uh, conduct uh, Mommy's theme. Maybe, um, maybe this is like um, that um, Pink Floyd, the Wall Wizard of Oz thing. We're, we're working on this here. <laughs> maybe it could happen maybe it could happen well very cool thank you so much for bringing this movie once again to our attention so oh you're welcome anytime i can give you a fresh slice of cheese <laughs> let me know <laughs> absolutely absolutely okay so we'll be right back to close up the show and before that the eso network con. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the ending of BoJack Horseman. So if you haven't seen it yet, then stop listening because I don't want to spoil it for you. So there aren't that many shows that I am invested in the characters, but also just really sad to watch. BoJack has basically been that show. It's really hard to explain how I feel about this show. The main character is a very unlikable horse actor, yet... You're still hoping throughout the entire series that he will do better and become a better person. I mean horse. And this season, we actually saw him trying to fix his life after the death of Sarah Lynn. However, like most people who live their lives like horrible people in Hollywood, it caught up to him in the end, and we see Bojack have to pay for his horrible ways he lived his life. I will say, when Bojack started teaching theater at the college, I was happy that they showed the character could be an alright person. He really wanted a relationship with his sister Hollyhock, who sadly, from what we can see from the earlier season, had learned how awful her brother is, and started avoiding him for much of his time there. We also never find out what Hollyhock's letter said. Did she ask him to never speak to her again? Was it her suicide letter? 
we never get a resolution of what happened to Hollyhock, and that makes me very sad. She was the one pure thing in Bojack's life, and I was sad to see that fall apart in the end. However, it really adds to what the character of Bojack was. I will say, the poem that Bojack's father reads in the second-to-last episode is very powerful in meaning. That was probably the hardest episode for me to watch during this season, since it was a very big self-realization that Bojack wants to live and that he needs to change. We get to see two of my favorite characters get a happy ending, though. Princess Caroline and Diane. Both of these characters were trying very hard to be strong, working women in Hollywood. Princess Caroline wanting to be the big-shot agent while also having a relationship with her daughter and getting married at the end. That made me so happy. And Diane wanting to be a writer. I do like that Diane's story ended with her being happy and writing what she didn't think she would be writing, teen fiction. And living with her new husband in Texas. So that was a great ending for both of those characters. So in the end, this series as a whole made me happy and sad. It was very raw. And I like that it gave me all the emotions that it gave me. I had, I was very scared going into watching the last part of this season. And I came out with a lot of emotions. And a few small questions that we may never know the answers to. So if you like shows that are mostly happy, then this is not the series for you. But if you like complex characters and occasionally yelling at your TV because you are so invested in these stupid people who keep making horrible mistakes, then check out this amazingly well-written show. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Everyone these days could use a little support. And your friends at the ESO Network are no different with the ESO Network Patreon. The cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. Hey everyone, welcome back. Now for the week of February 5th, 2020. It's the ESO network con report. It is February, the second month of 2020. Can you believe it? We are in it. Um, we just had o two o two two o. I know, right? Uh, that's uh, yeah. Um, I can't believe we're in February already. This year's already going by much too fast. But there are two, count them, two conventions coming up uh, in February that you can see uh, not only ESO Network people at, but people uh, that are part of the Flopcast, um, and not who you think. Um, Kevin actually isn't one of them. Uh, February 14th through the 16th, it is Gallifrey One in Los Angeles, California. Uh, the mayor of Chickentown, uh, as she she does do her uh, sort of um, uh, administrative business uh, out in Gallifrey One for uh, uh, the for Chickentown. Uh, so she will be there. I think she'll probably be. She's usually on panels, but she has a love for Doctor Who and uh, she celebrates it there. So if you are there, uh, look out for uh, the Mayor of Chickentown, a.k.a. Felicity. She will be uh, attending Gallifrey One. And then February 28th through March 1st is MarsCon. 
that is in Bloomington, Minnesota. Uh, Cornflake will be attending MarsCon uh, again, uh, and uh, she will be up to her usual dementia water aerobics again, which I still want video of, damn it. Um, and this is, this is really special. Uh, she's actually one of the uh, musical performers this year. Did you know Cornflake could even sing? I didn't. Uh, until they announced it on the Flopcast, I had no idea. I mean, she's got a great voice, um, but I just, and I know she likes music, um, but I didn't know that she, she's working on an album. She's working on a CD and she's going to uh, be performing at uh, MarsCon. So that's pretty exciting. So, um, so yeah, it's all about Cornflake at MarsCon, Bloomington, Minnesota. Uh, how's she even going to have time for water aerobics, dementia water aerobics? Uh, yeah. Well, she needs to rest her voice somehow, and <laughs> swimming is the best way to do yeah, it. She's a big star, you know. She'd be prepping for her appearance, and you know, and then I don't know. Uh, and then that's all we have for February because that goes into March first, of course. And then March, uh, the first weekend of March, uh, the sixth through the eighth is Inuhele. It's the second uh, uh, annual event that uh, is a sort of tiki. It is tiki. It's a hundred percent tiki. Um, it's uh, spawned out of the tiki tour. And it's going to be held at a different location this year. It's at the Sheridan downtown. And so uh, it's within staggering distance of Trader Vic's, which is amazing. So that should be a blast. Uh, so get your tickets now, March 6th through the 8th. And you, Haley, oh, who will be there? I will be there. Tiki, Mike, Atlanta, come on. Uh, Trader Vic's, staggering. It's all me. It's all me. So um, those are the uh, three events that we've got on the immediate schedule. But keep listening to this space because we've got more to come. Uh, I know Mike and I have already uh, confirmed just recently some dates that we're going to announce pretty soon. Um, And uh, we're doing conventions. If you have a convention that you want us to check out or help promote, please reach out to us because we love talking about conventions. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Air Station One podcast. Darren, thank you so much for bringing this one up tonight. It was just really awesome. You're welcome, gentlemen. Anytime I can do this for you, it would be an honor. Do you you actually have any clothes on wire hangers? How dare you? (laughs) I I swear, once the movie, this movie came out, they probably, the people who purchased wire hangers industry, like, plunged, like, into, like, like, nobody was... (laughs) All I can say is if you have wire hangers in your closet, they are very effective against Michael Myers. <laughs> or not. Yeah, well, you know, as, as serial killers go, you know. I was thinking I was thinking after Love Guru, you know, definitely. I want to keep them away. Goodness. Damn, mm, no. dude. Like, uh, speaking of bad movies. No, <laughs> well, speaking, of, speaking of great movies, I've already decided what we're doing next. I thought we'd bring it back home since we did a Crawford. We're going to find out all about Eve next time. Oh, oh, I just saw that for the first time last year. Congratulations. Oh, it's amazing. It is an amazing film. Can't amazing wait to watch film. that one again. That'll be a lot of fun, sir. Anything you oh, want yes. to shout out about? Um, Legion of Superheroes is back and it's being published. Woohoo! So uh, Legion of Substitute Podcasters is where I usually hang my hat if I'm not here spreading the LGBT love or over at um, the Dragon Con report, I hear. Yes, sir. First episode's out, like we mentioned at the beginning of the show. And Woo-hoo! you can find it either up on iTunes. Well, it's not iTunes anymore. It's, it's Apple Podcasts or Stitcher Radio or Google or 
Because or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, pretty much. Or you could just find it at dragonconreport.com. And Sweet. of course, that's part of the ESO network. So there. And Mr. Mike, speaking of oh there, hmm. thank you as always. And as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about? I do. I know we're going to go into uh, more in depth uh, on this on a, on a future show. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time with it, but I, I got to give major props and a big, big, big shout out to Mike Shore and the entire cast and crew that came together to create uh, one of my favorite TV series of all time, which is a good place. Uh, the finale oh, yeah. was was just this past week, and it was uh, nothing short of amazing. The entire run of this show has been nothing short of amazing. And uh, if, for those people who love the show, can't get enough of it. If you're not already listening to the Good Place podcast, that's just just added, added, added uh, fun. It's just a great experience all the way around. And um, I'm going to miss it, but at least they got to end on their terms. And then I can't ask for a better ending than what they came up with. So. Oh, it was the perfect ending. And you also stole my shout out. So there you go. <laughs> Well, we can all I shout out about it. We can, it can be only forking shirt balls. <laughs> exactly. We can, you know, we can all embrace it. You know, it's a, it's about unity, Mike, not division. Oh, I know, I know. We just got done watching this, actually, right before the we recorded tonight, and so we finally watched it. And both Judy and I were sitting on, you know, in me in my chair, and Judy and on the couch. We were both like, "I'm not crying. Don't worry." <laughs> How are you not a blubbering mess right now? Yeah, I know, really. Because <laughs> I had to think of Mommy Dearest. That's why. <laughs> that would really cure it, won't it? <laughs> oh, yes, it did. It certainly Oh, will. it sure did. So, yeah. But, yeah, they did such an amazing job. And it was the proper send-off. Mm-hmm. And not to spoil anything, but when you saw Mary Steenburgen, at the end, oh yeah, that was great. As the I, guitar I, teacher, it was just like, that was oh, Michael's gonna, you know. <laughs> it was just, it was just, it was really cool. And you know, I'm glad they ended it the way, and it's perfect. It was, it was one of the best endings for a show. And like Mike said, we are going to be talking about this in a couple of weeks. So join us then. But before that. We're going back to the movies once again, because I guess, does this count as summer movie season starting up already? <laughs> Is this well, going to count was, as camp? It's 70 degrees outside right now. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, sure. And we're not in Florida. Come on. Yeah, we're not in Florida. No, this is just craziness. The weather in Georgia has been amazingly weird. We haven't had any winter here. We have frippin' flowers already growing. Yeah. But see, this is what happens, and I'm, I'm acutely aware because my birthday is in early February. I'm acutely aware of the fact that when it's warm during my birthday week, three weeks later, people, three weeks later, snow, um, something. Uh-oh. We usually get something. Uh-oh. It's been six years since Snowmageddon. Yeah, I saw all the pictures. We're due. So we are due for an event. Uh oh. So, uh-oh, get, uh-oh. Your, get your milk, get your bread. <laughs> Run, hide. And speaking of running, hiding, as I said earlier, we're going to the movies next week. And we are going to be looking at Birds of Prey. DC Universe dives into the movies again. Oy. I'm kind of worried about this. I've heard this it's going to be good. I've heard it's good. So, yeah, yeah. me too. 
Okay. Well, we'll be the judge of it when we talk all about it next week. You can write us, of course, at EarthStation1 at ESONetwork.com. We would love to hear from you. But until then, my name is Mike Faber, and we will see you here next week on the EarthStation1 podcast. Peace, and we are done. Woohoo! You've been listening to the EarthStation1 podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the EarthStation One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.